Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast. Living large in New York. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today. Dave Anderson. And our producer, William Jeffries. And today, we'll be talking about Terraform the Planet, Infrastructure as Code, and Why We Need It. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I imagine like we're like geomancers just like tearing up Earth and <laughs> oh. terraforming things. When I hear terraform, I always think about that. Was that show Avatar, Lost Airbender? Yeah. Oh, wow. Every time I think of terraform. But more more code than in that show. More like hackers. Yeah. <laughs> more like hackers. Hack the planet. Hack the planet. <laughs> Terraforming the planet, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're talking about terraform. We're going to talk about infrastructure as code. I got a lot of questions. I haven't been blessed enough to be sitting in front of doing things in Terraform or in any infrastructure as code. We had a conversation about CI recently, previous episodes, and I managed to do some deleting on my Travis YAML file. But I don't think it's kind of similar, but not, right? Am I completely off? The idea with infrastructure as code is that you want to be able to keep track of all of your infrastructure in a permanent way in version control, much the way that you do your regular code. So you don't have to worry about somebody going into your AWS web console and deleting something important and then nobody knowing how to fix it. That's the scenario you want to avoid. Right. Just delete that one load balancer and then you're just done. Which one was it? Which one? Bobby Load Balancer, he's like on vacation in Hawaii and, you know, his computer. Or he doesn't work at the company anymore. Actually, nobody has touched that in years. Computers are going like, ah, 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 No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't want that. There's so much configuration that goes into infrastructure and can be a real challenge to keep track of it and also to implement it. Like it's... It can be very manual work if you're setting all of the set configurations manually on every server, even if you're scripting it. But it is like pretty repeatable in a way that you can describe in structured markup like YAML. Yeah, and if you imagine like somebody tells you, oh, we need to set up another staging server. And if you're doing that manually, like first you got to set up your subnets and your route tables and the associations and you know all you got to do you have to deal with all of your networking before you even start actually setting up the machines that are going to run the code it's like a lot of work right right and this doesn't include and when i hear manually as well i'm thinking like oh you want a new staging server let me go to best buy real quick and buy you a brand new desktop that <laughs> we're going to host this out of but even then not thinking of that as manual but actually getting a new machine and setting up its networking that's a whole that is the thing that you can repeat with infrastructure as code yeah i have a question though like does yaml count as code <laughs> That was language, baby. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Yet another markdown language. Yeah, exactly. So with Terraform, you actually, you can use HCL, the HashiCorp language, which is designed for infrastructure. And it's a lot cleaner than YAML or JSON, which is what we had to use before. And it feels a little bit more like a language because, you know, you can have ternaries and stuff. 
but it's still oh, okay. very much not a full featured language. Like you, there's no list comprehensions and you're not scripting anything. It's just about defining resources. We'll have to determine if it's Turing complete. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I mean, if JavaScript's a language, I think it, there's not much you can go from that. So <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's kind of nice though to be able to do things like templating variables and interpolation and all that. Yeah, it's got all of that, string interpolation, all that. Those are good things. And YAML's a little difficult to do that, I imagine. I think so. I don't know. Can you do variables in YAML? I think. I don't know. You have to use like ERB or some kind of a preprocessor to get the variables in there. No, thanks. Thank you, HashiCorp. <laughs> what is it, HashiCorp markup language? HCL or HML? HCL. Okay. HashiCorp language. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it really helps a lot. Like I'm migrating some cloud formation templates over to Terraform definitions and the Terraform files are so much cleaner. It's way fewer lines of code and much more readable. Is that the main reason why you're moving from cloud formation to Terraform? I think there are a few reasons. I think with cloud formation, you kind of end up having to do a lot of bash scripting because it's not super opinionated about how to plan and apply infrastructure changes and how to set up a pipeline. People were just having a really hard time ramping up on how the infrastructure worked because there was so much manual bash scripting. It was like very custom in the end. Like yeah. To your thing, even though it's maybe there's, it's your, your solution is not so custom, but you ended up having to implement a lot of things. Yeah. And... Terraform is just, it's a nicer interface. Like using the AWS Terraform CLI, it's not a great experience. Terraform is much cleaner, you know, the way they do plan diff and you can easily see everything that's going to change and you can save those plans and pipe them around and apply them. That's pretty cool. I mean, like, it's interesting. I don't think we mentioned this before, but it's really like, writing a migration for your code where you have a schema that defines the shape of the target. And then I guess HashiCorp is going to define what steps you need to take, like which columns you need to add or tables you need to create in database migration land, which would instead be servers migrating or settings changing, and then just applying the minimum amount of steps. That's pretty cool. I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, it does feel very much like uh, database migrations. And you can put it in version control. So everybody loves version control. Yeah, and then you can roll is back. You can also work? do... Is it terrifying? Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> Ter terraformifying? There's a library called Terrify. <laughs> it's just like, it's not good branding. This is not effective marketing. I mean, it seems like it's good for puns. It is great for puns. But you can use, so you can version control the work that you do in the event, you know, the previous or the most latest build, I would say. Is that the correct term when you're building these things in Terraform? What would you call that? Just so I get my lingos. You're doing your HCLs, building up the server so that it can have X amount of space in the drive and network is set up correctly. What is that What is that you're building? Right. So you've written all of your Terraform definitions, all of those TF files. Those are in your code base. They're ready to be applied. Right. 
let's say what if the latest right and you got an inversion control which is great you just get push force master of course because that's your <laughs> cowboy coder over here and then suppose that something like if it breaks for whatever reason because you were trying to do things really fast it's good with version control that you can roll it back if necessary and then redeploy or reset up the server with the previous configurations if the newer ones were bad Right. Yeah. And to be clear, like you could do that with CloudFormation templates too, or any other infrastructure as code solution. It's not unique to Terraform, but yeah, that is definitely a major selling point for infrastructure as code in general. And like you can also do code reviews. So if somebody wants to make an infrastructure change, instead of saying, okay, here are the prod keys, go do it. You can say, okay, open a pull request, <laughs> and then we'll apply your changes in a lower environment, and if nothing breaks, then we'll automatically apply those changes in prod. And I guess also, like, if you are version controlling it, then you can go back in history to not only the code as it was a year ago, but also the infrastructure as it was a year ago, because it's not always the case that the infrastructure and the code is closely tied, but sometimes there are breaking changes that you know, the old infrastructure won't support the new code. Yeah, and you also get commit messages that explain why things changed. So you can sort of, you know, document why you deleted that load balancer so that two years later when somebody needs to fix it, it's clear. So just a friendly reminder, write decent and coherent commit messages because that's important. The last thing you want to do is figure out why that happened and then you go on the get blame and it's fix up and then it's just that's it <laughs> whip 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 yeah whip 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 so that's important remember that I mean that's cool though the idea of being able to look back and see why these changes were made very similar to programming but in an infrastructure sense you understand why these things were built so how does this work with like containers and Kubernetes and the future of whatever <laughs> like I feel like you know we've talked a lot about Kubernetes and Docker in the past. Kubernetes is really hyper-focused on containers. So if you want infrastructure as code for containers, if you want container orchestration and the ability to auto-scale your containers and configure them every which way, then Kubernetes is the right tool for you. But Kubernetes is not going to help with any other kind of infrastructure. So if you want to set up an RDS instance so that you have a permanent database that's not running inside of a container... Or, you know, if you want to set up any of your networking, like if you want to set up a virtual private cloud that all of your stuff runs inside of, then you might need Terraform or CloudFormation or whatever other infrastructure as code solution. Or, you, you mean, you don't have to have infrastructure as code for everything. You could say, you know, we only want infrastructure as code for the containers. And so we're just going to use Kubernetes and nothing else. What did that mean that you're just using Kubernetes for this, but still doing things a little bit manually? Or is it that you're also writing scripts in Kubernetes to then do the things that you need to do in Terraform or CloudFormation? It would mean that you just didn't have version control for a bunch of stuff that you maybe would want version control for, like all your networking, which you know seems like a bad idea. It seems like you would want that also in version control. I think if maybe if you have like a fully host it if you're just using EKS and like you don't really have any infrastructure outside of Dockerland, then maybe you don't need the EKS cluster itself to be in version control. You just have one resource and that's it. 
And that's like simple enough. You don't really need that documented. But there is like a valid use case for like, why not both? Like use one for your databases and the other for like all of your web containers and things like that. Yeah. So this came up on a conversation before we started recording. William, are you doing the multi-clouds? All the cool kids are doing it. Come on. I don't think I've ever met anybody who is legit doing multi-cloud with a single app, like where one app needs to communicate to multiple clouds. The only time I've seen anybody actually using more than one cloud is when they work at a Titanic-sized company, you know, like a Fortune 50 where there are hundreds of engineering teams in Huntland, like dozens of countries, and they all have their own thing. And some of them are on AWS, and some of them are on prem servers, and some of them are on GCP. And I asked that question having no idea what it means to do that. <laughs> is it communicating across different cloud platforms, or is it an application that's hosted in multiple servers or instances across the same platform, or is it both? I guess one of the cool things about Terraform, from my understanding, and William, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that like Terraform is agnostic of the actual like platform that you're going to be hosting on. So you can kind of plug it in to AWS as a backend, or you can plug it into GCP to have like Google hosted or Azure. So you actually have like somewhat uh, platform agnostic description of how you would deploy your application. Yeah, anybody can write a Terraform provider that allows people to configure state for whatever. You could write a Terraform provider for your coffee maker if you wanted, assuming your coffee maker has an API. <laughs> I'm going to work on that. My coffee maker is me, so I guess maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I got to get the hot water. And maybe someone has to send it a French press. It's a French press. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make an API for my phone and have someone do that. Let's drink it in water. <laughs> Don't die, bro. <laughs> I can't terraform just yet. I can't terraform you back into existence. We can't do that. <laughs> There's no API for Dave yet. Still need to write that provider. <laughs> I'm going to make it. Oh, boy. <laughs> so you could create a provider, which you had called it, to communicate so that whatever API that you have understands how Terraform can communicate with it. Is that safe to say? I mean, you would only do that if you had a product that provided resources that somebody might want to use as part of their application, then you might want to write a Terraform provider for it. Most of the time, if you're a web developer, you just go and use the providers that are already created and you're probably only going to be using one or two. So, you know, if you're hosted on AWS, you may only need the AWS provider and that might be everything. If you have infrastructure in both AWS and GCP for whatever reason, like, I don't know, maybe the blob storage is cheaper in GCP. And so you're going to have most of your infrastructure on AWS, but in order, for, in order to save some money, you're going to use GCP for this one thing. Then you could do that. You could define the infrastructure in Terraform in both clouds. And when you do a Terraform apply, it would spin it up in two separate clouds, two separate cloud providers. Yeah. Or if you're like writing something that's like needs to be highly available as a platform itself for some other service, then maybe you, you know, go for some kind of more robust deployment multi-cloud. Yeah. You could have, you could set up failover from like in case all of Amazon goes down, then you're fine because you just fail over to GCP. Yeah. In that case that the S3 bucket is no longer available. It's nice to know that it's there, even if it's not needed right now. Yeah, I could see a use case if like maybe you're doing 
neural networking and you feel like SageMaker is not as good as the GCP offering, maybe there are some specific services that you think are better in one cloud provider than another. You could mix and match. But I feel like multi-cloud is one of those things that gets, you know, highlighted as a really cool feature, but it's not a feature that anybody actually uses. It does sound complicated. Just like you're complicating your things a lot more than you really need to. But my question is, Dave, you mentioned that it is agnostic. Terraform is agnostic in the example of being able to choose whatever provider that you wish to use. Is it really then complicated? Does Terraform just make it that much easier for you at the end of the day? So you can do the multi-cloud. Like, William, you set up the infrastructure at your workplace. Bro, just do a multi-cloud. Stop playing games. <laughs> you know you can do it. Come on. <laughs> You're like, hey, boss, I'm ready to multi-cloud. I'm ready for my promotion. Thank you. Yes, across all three platforms. Don't worry about it. We got this. Multi-cloud, baby. What's up? But there's a tiny voice in your head that's just like, yeah, D. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you ain't gonna need it. Yeah, not gonna need it. The thing is, like, all of these cloud providers, you know, they have multiple regions and multiple availability zones. And so it's just, you already get so much security by just setting up the ability to fail over from even just US East 1 to US East 2 would be fine. It doesn't even have to be a different region. And that already, it's it makes it so, like, what are the chances that the data center in Virginia goes down and the data center in Ohio goes down, both, like the whole data center. Yeah. I mean, if you got, that's like the whole East Coast, yeah? All the data centers in the East Coast, you got a bigger (laughs) problem. Yeah. If that happens, nobody's checking your website. They're checking the news. Yeah. They're checking the news. They're wondering why why their doors doesn't open anymore because (laughs) their door door locks are probably into, yeah, yeah, the doorbell's broken. They can't get into their house. Their coffee maker isn't working. Their vacuum isn't running. None of that. Yeah. Mike stopped making their coffee for them. (laughs) (laughs) So, nope, I'm staying home, boys. That's me. I guess to Dave's point, Yagni, on the multi-cloud right now, William, my apologies. I was trying to get you to multi-cloud it up, but definitely. I'm going to do it. You dared me. You double dog dared me. We're going multi-cloud. Let's go multi-cloud. Just get it on your resume, bro. It's going to look great. It's going to look sweet. Don't worry about it. Whether you multi-cloud or single cloud, though, it seems like Terraform was the move that your organization ultimately made, given that you just have more power in your infrastructure as code using Terraform versus cloud formation. Yeah, I mean, I think the industry is just moving towards Terraform because it's easier to recruit if your infrastructure as code is not written in a language that's tied to a particular cloud provider because somebody else might have come from a company that uses Azure or IBM Cloud or some other provider and maybe they're not familiar with the CloudFormation templating system. And the CloudFormation templating system is also kind of hard to look at. It's just like the JSON for it is kind of gross looking. So I think that more and more people are going to standardize around that tool. Oh, that's awesome. I think that that is a hot tip for anyone who's listening, interested in the infrastructure as code, like jump on that Terraform, given that everyone slowly or is using Terraform as the de facto language because it's agnostic across different providers. If you're already using CloudFormation, then maybe stop and think about it before you migrate. But if you haven't picked one yet, definitely don't pick CloudFormation. Pick Terraform. (laughs) You haven't started yet. There's no debt to migrate. The hot takes. 
This is a ghost of terraform <laughs> past or future. I think I'm ready to start tearing up the ground with some terraform. <laughs> tearing up with terraform. <laughs> tearing it up, terrifying with terraform, and hopefully building servers that could be multi-cloud. I think I'm going to do that. I have to figure out something, maybe just like an API. Yeah, just like internet. Just put the internet. The hello world. Just do like the hello world. Yeah, do the internet. Do a hello world that just goes to all the clouds, bro. <laughs> It'll say hello world and it'll give you a random provider that it comes from. I think I'm going to do that just so I can have it on my resume. Multi-cloud, baby. Right there at the top. 72 point. Bobby multi-cloud. Bobby multi-cloud. That's going to be me before you know. (laughs) Be ready. Bobby multi-cloud. Coming soon. Lilu Dallas (laughs) multi-cloud. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole. (laughs) 